Father, thank you once again. A beautiful Sunday. Thank you for a beautiful Sunday. Um, this is this is truly a wonderful place. I just I love driving across that little causeway there and just seeing the beauty of your creation as I come here to gather with your people to worship. So thank you for that. Um, Father, I pray that you would bless our time together. There's there's so many little things, little reasons that we can be distracted. If it's a, a popping microphone or um, just thoughts in our head or things going on around us. And I, I know that um, there are powers that want to keep us from engaging our mind towards you. Uh, so, Lord, would you just protect us from that right now? I pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted um, in the things that I say. I pray that our hearts would be drawn in worship towards him uh, in these next few minutes that we have together. Um, and Father, I, I pray that as a result of what we see here in this passage, that you would just sharpen our ministry uh, to one another and to the world around us. So do this now. We will be grateful. Uh, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking of great announcements or great things that happen. Um, you know, I remember in 1995 when the Braves finally won the World Series, and it's so fun, and it's so exciting, and then it's over, and you move on. It's hard to believe that's been almost 25 years ago, um, <clears throat> but a lot of really good things that happen to us, good news, um, good things that we celebrate together, they, they move on so fast, and suddenly it, it just it doesn't seem as exciting as you thought that it would uh, after the event. We just finished up in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 last week talking about Paul's message to the Corinthians, which says, be reconciled to God. It's a great message. It's a powerful message. Um, it, it's, it's the greatest message in the world that we can be reconciled to God. And yet, we hear that message, and it, it so quickly becomes just normal for us. Substitution, reconciliation by substitution, that somebody came, substituted themselves, Jesus Christ substituted himself in our place for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. And, and you would think that that would, would really just resonate with us. Um, we, we were in, in our Knowing God study on Wednesday morning that... that uh, author included just some old hymns with some profound statements and, and exclamations about salvation. And, oh, it, wouldn't it be great to just live in that and, and to think about that all the time? Um, and hopefully for those of us who, who by the grace of God, have, have understood these things, we're, we're trying to remind ourselves of these things all the time. Like we said last, last week, the world system, the, 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 um, the, the world system that is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness is trying to, to make us forget those things. But, but just two, two verses, 2 Corinthians 5.19, which we looked at last week, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a great message. And yet, 
A lot of people don't think it's so great. In fact, a lot of people are offended by it. You would think who wouldn't be happy to hear that God sent a Savior to reconcile us to himself. And yet, if you don't know that you are in danger, if you don't believe that you need saving, a message of salvation just just isn't that great to you. And so the question I want to arrive at this morning in this passage, uh, chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, we want to just consider how do we then live our lives in relation to this message. Now, Paul, we're in this book of 2 Corinthians, and, and Paul was a really unique man in history. I want to keep continue to emphasize this. He suffered a ton because of his message. Um, Most of us are not going to be called to do the things that Paul did. He took missionary trips to unreached places. And very few of us are going to be called to make three separate touring missionary trips to places in the Mediterranean. Uh, Very few of us are going to be called to suffer like Paul suffered. And, and even if we did, even if we did do find ourselves in these, these scenes of persecution, the truth is most likely none of us are going to have the same experience that he did being personally deputized by Jesus Christ to take this message of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we can't have his same mindset. And I think when we look through how he thought and the things he did, at least for me, I become almost like overwhelmed sometimes. And I'm like, I, I can't. I can't get anywhere close to this and the way he views suffering and the way he views ministry, his, his excitement to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So if we're never going to be, you know, called to the same kind of ministry that Paul has, I do think we can have the same mindset and, and we can understand some of these things, the basics of salvation and reconciliation and how it should bear in our lives. So, so this morning, like I said, we're going to talk about the implications of the gospel. How should it move us to act? And ultimately, it's just part of being doers of the word is what it is. Um, so let's, let's pick up in verse 1. Let me read uh, verses 1 through 4 together. I mean, uh, four, just, I'll read them. Y'all listen. Uh, I was, I'll tell this story real fast. because I've, I've learned to be careful with that. Let's read this. Let's pray together. Uh, because I was in South Africa one time with a bunch of kids, and we were with some South African kids, and I, I said, um, okay, well let's well let's all let's all pray together, which in our culture means you know I'm going to pray and you're going to listen. Um, well, so I bowed my head and I started praying, and so did everybody else in the room, like at one time. Um, and so apparently, you know, let's all pray together means something different over there than it means here. So I'm going to read, and you guys read quietly uh, while I read. Just to clarify. Going, we won't clarify that ever again. We'll just that we're going to move forward. That that's what I mean. Um, okay, uh, verse one. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, "In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you." Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. We'll stop there um, for, for the moment. All right. So how do we live in light 
of the fact that we have been reconciled to God. And the first thing I want us to see from this passage is we have the privilege of working together with God. He says, working together with him. All right. So I like to say we are part of the family business. Okay. So we have embraced the message of reconciliation. We now get to be a part of the work that God is doing through Christ. So God is in the business of showing mercy, and so we are in the business of showing mercy. Jesus Christ, our elder brother, was in the business. He came uh, to serve, not to be served. And so we're all, once we become reconciled to God, we're just growing up in the family business. Okay. Now, like I said, and, and this is important, Paul had a specific work that he was supposed to do. He was supposed to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, right? Um, So that was what he was supposed to do. Our ministry may not be as specific as Paul's, but we still all have the privilege of working together with God. And I believe that each one of us in this room, I believe that we all have different desires and different abilities that God has given us that he intends us to use for his glory. And remember, you are, we are all a new creation. Last week we saw verse 517. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So have you ever been puzzled by this statement? Um, Psalm 37, it's, it's kind of a famous verse. Uh, writer of Psalm 37 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's Psalm 37, 4. So, if I delight myself in the Lord, does that mean that I can have a new car if I want one? Does that mean that if I desire to get married, that God is going to immediately give me that desire? Does it mean that if I desire to be healed of a disease, that God is going to immediately heal me of that disease. So the question is, if it says in that verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, is it possible that God is just going to give you anything that you desire? And I think the answer to that question is yes, but I think Psalm 37, 4 doesn't imply that he's just going to give you anything that you can think of. Now bear with me here, okay? So, we give our lives to Christ, according to Paul, we become new creations, right? So the old has gone, and the new has come. So we begin to desire new things, desire things that we've never desired before. Maybe God takes away um, the ideas that we have for our old abilities and our old talents that we used to would have wanted to use for ourselves, and he changes those into new desires that we would use to serve God others. So just think of it this way. When God saves us, he doesn't put like a cookie cutter, you know, print on all of us and make us look the same. He is, he is making us into the image of Christ, but we're still us and our, our personalities and our, our, our characteristics are still the same, but with a different end that we would please Christ. Okay. And I'm often troubled when, when somebody preaches to people in a way and they're like, you know, you all have to do this, or you all have to do this, or you all have to do this. You know, there are things that some of you do. And I am amazed. I am like, I don't know how you do that. You know, because God hasn't 
put that desire. I'm not saying I shouldn't try, but I'm like, you're so gifted at that. You are so good at what you do. We have, we have people in this church, and, and we just did the dinners for eight on Friday night, which was great. We have people in this church who are so gifted and so excited about hospitality. And I am so thankful for those people. We have people who are so gifted, who love to give. We have people who adopt and care for children. We have people in this church who are able to sit down really well and just listen to another person and and talk to them. And, and talk to them about what the Bible says about what's going on in their life. We have people who are skilled at sharing the gospel with others. And so I think that sometimes people think, well, if I'm going to get serious about my faith, then I have to start doing a lot of things that I'm really uncomfortable with. And I'm certainly not saying that you'll never be uncomfortable as a Christian. But I am saying that when God makes you a new creature... He places new desires in your heart, and then I would say he gives you opportunities to fulfill those desires. So so basically, according to Psalm 37.4, which we read earlier, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe what the psalmist is saying there, if you seek God... God is going to, to craft your heart in such a way that you desire to do things that please him. And then he's going to fulfill your desires. Now, personally, I can tell you for 100% sure that the life I am now living is not the life that I would have drawn up like in college. You know, if somebody had sat down with me and said, when you are 45 years old, here's what's going to be going on. I would have been like, you've got to be kidding me. I would have had no understanding of, I would have had no understanding of this life. I'll tell you, I never expected to live back in Savannah. I left Savannah when I was a 10th grader in high school. I left Georgia to go to California after I graduated from college. And I was not looking back. I was, I was ready to be gone. And then what does God do? Uh, he brings me all the way back to Savannah to live, by the way, on the same street I lived on when I was a kid, which is crazy. And, and he does so, and I wanted to do it. I, I wanted to do it. I, I did not expect to have five children. Did not expect that. I, that, that, was not, that was not like in the plan, right? I, I didn't expect... I remember the first time I ever met somebody who was, I was just new to seminary and I met somebody and he was going to back to South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. He had finished seminary and he was going back to start a church. And I was like, that's crazy. Why would anybody do that? Like, I had no idea. I, I, I just, I, I had no understanding of that. And yet I couldn't be more thankful for the life that God has given me. And I'd say that he is giving me the desires of my heart. And I, and I know I'm speaking in such a way that it reflects what many of your experiences as well. You know, I, I know if I came and talked to you and said, you know, 20 years ago, would you expect that God would have brought you to this point doing what you're doing right now? I know many of you would say no. So we have the privilege of working together with God to advance the work of reconciliation. For some of you, the fact that you're here, the fact that you came, that you were willing to be a part of this new work is an indication that God has given you new desires because probably you also weren't 
weren't thinking that this time this year you'd be sitting on Burnside Island in a chapel, um, you know, with, with a new congregation of people. Some of you are considering learning more and learning how to minister God's word to others through counseling or teaching. And, and maybe 10 years ago, you couldn't have even imagined that that would have been something that God would put in your heart. And some of you, I'll bet right now, you have an idea for ministry. You have an idea for some way that you'd like to serve. You have an idea for something that you'd like to do. And God is just now cultivating that desire in you. And, and I would just encourage you, keep praying about that. Keep, keep looking for opportunities. Because I would submit, if God creates that desire in you, he's going to provide you with a way for you to be able to serve him in that way. And I, I want us to be a church. I love this. I like to say it like this. I want us to be a church where we're conspiring together against the world system. Like, I want us to just be making plans for how we are going to see people be reconciled to God and how we are going to be thwarting that world system and the prince of this world from continuing to, to make the gains that, that, that they're making in the city of Savannah. And a lot of people depend on churches to have like programs and things to help them serve God. And that's fine. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But how much better if we're becoming a church full of people where God is working in all of us with ideas for ways to serve him. And, and, and we're just we're just rolling those things out. We're just rolling those desires out and we're facilitating that ministry. So just to con- conclude, we're, we're working Together with our Father, we're not all called to be the Apostle Paul. He was unique, um, but we need to get busy working together with him um, as, as he's created us to serve him and others. Okay, secondly, so first of all, we're working together with Father. Secondly, there is an urgency. There's an urgency here. Verse 2, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Y'all, people don't preach a lot like this anymore. It's kind of, you know, people think of it as like old time, you know, revival gospel preaching. But there really was an urgency to Paul's message. Paul really believed. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He really thought Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. And he was, he was getting after it. it. It affected how he lived and ministered. So Paul is actually quoting from Isaiah 49. Just anytime you come across a quotation from the Old Testament in these New Testament letters, just take a minute, look in your margin. Most of the time in your margin, it'll tell you where that quotation is from. And just go back and read that, that little section in, in the context so he's actually quoting um, Isaiah, I think, 49.8. And just two verses before, this is what it says, that same passage. It is, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So Paul sees himself as an apostle to the Gentiles. He's quoting this passage that says the gospel is going to come to the nations. And he's like, now is the day. You people of Corinth, now is the day of salvation. Salvation is here. There's no reason to ignore this. And he says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So what does that mean? 
So he's been speaking this message of the new covenant, the gospel, the good news. He implored them at the end of our chapter from last week. He begged them, be reconciled to God. Y'all, the words of God are grace to human beings. The words of God are grace to us. It is God's gracious response. We saw this last week, the gracious response to alienation. But hear me, and I, I think this is what Paul is getting at here. He's saying it is not enough just to hear those words. There has to be a response. And if we or, or the people around us just receive the words but don't respond accordingly, we are receiving the grace of God in vain. And I, I've been in ministry long enough to know that God's word has effects on most people. When, when people come into contact with God's word, I remember when I was in high school ministry and I would take kids to camp and we would take some of the hardest kids to camp with us. And after a week of being exposed to God's word and God's people and taken away from like the TV and the iPhones, they, they would start to, to soften, you know? And you could, have, you could have this kid that you've never been able to talk to and all of a sudden you're having a, a real conversation and then they would go home and they would go right back to the way that they lived before often. I've seen adults. I've seen adults come in from difficult situations. They come into church. They receive some help simply by hearing the truth. Their life seems to be kind of coming back around. They may even get kind of faithful for a little while and start to be around. And they show some signs of growth. And then they go back to their sin and they sort of disappear. I don't believe that a Christian can lose his salvation I think once your eyes have been opened, like we talked about last week, once you've seen the truth of God's word, you don't, you don't go back from that. But I do believe that you can dabble in God's word, but never truly follow Jesus. And, and people never believe and are never actually reconciled to God. There's a difficult passage in Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm, I'm not going to try to unpack it, but... Um, the writer of Hebrews says this, those who have once been enlightened, who have tested, tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. I think it's possible to be very close to salvation, to be very close. I, you know, the, that, that story of Herod and John the Baptist, where John the Baptist is in the jail and Herod likes to listen to him. And he calls him over and over again to come and preach for him because he's intrigued by the words that he says. But then Herod ends up chopping off his head. You know, it's like Herod, you know, I, this, something sounds right about this. Something sounds appealing about this. But in the end, he rejects it. And so the fact that Paul says that now is a favorable time and that now is the day of salvation implies that there is a time when that day will pass. So there is an urgency about our message. So I would say to you, if you are alive right now, now is the day of salvation. The time is now. At any moment, God may end your life or Jesus may return. And when one of those things happen, the day of salvation has passed. God's patience will have run out. And if you're here and you've not been reconciled to God, waste no more time. Don't be counted among those who the grace of God, the message of the grace of God would have been in vain. 
And then for those of us who have received this message of the grace of God, this message of reconciliation, going back to my previous point, if God has put something in your heart, a desire for ministry, something that you believe that he is, he is putting in your heart to do, I would say, get busy. God is doing that for a reason. There, there's no good reason to just sit around and, and wait. If, if there are co-workers, if there are neighbors, if there are things that you, you sense that he's leading to do, maybe your kids are getting older, maybe you keep saying, I need to get serious about teaching them about the faith, now is the time. Don't, don't keep waiting. Maybe there are friends or loved ones that God has put in your life. They need to hear that message. Now is the time. Maybe there is some ministry that intrigues you. God is putting something in your heart, but the pressures of life just keep moving it further and further down the list. I would say, now is the time. Get busy. 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's a wonderful verse. But the next verse says it clear. The day of the Lord will come. So there's an urgency to our message. There's an urgency to us as hearers to respond to the message. And then number three, verse three, there is integrity necessary for the ministry of reconciliation. Sometimes I study a verse and it doesn't mean what I thought it was going to mean. And I almost changed this point, but I I think the point still works. But this verse did not mean once I got into it, it didn't mean what I thought this was going to be a verse about having integrity in ministry and not putting an obstacle in in somebody's way. And it, it kind of means that. But let me explain it. Bear with me here. I think I can explain this. So Paul says we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Okay. I mean, let me walk through this with you quickly. So at the end of the last chapter, Paul calls himself an ambassador of Christ. So he is King Jesus's foreign representative here in this world. And clearly, Paul's goal is to get out of the way of the message. That's what Paul's doing. He's just getting out of the way. The message itself is an obstacle. It's a stumbling block to people. And like we said last week, nobody likes to be told they're a sinner. So for somebody who's already going to be offended at the fact that they are a sinner before a holy God, Paul does not want to add to that offense. Now, on the other hand, the church at Corinth was in the thrall of ministry that is based on appearances. They are committed to ministry based on appearances. They want ministers that are going to maintain a definition of success that is equal with the the, the God-denying world system. They've actually accused Paul of hindering the gospel um, because he isn't successful by that standard. And so they're actually saying, Paul, your manner of life is turning people off to the gospel. Like, you're kind of a loser. You're, you're, there's too much suffering. There's, 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 there's too many hard points here. We think you're turning people off to the gospel. So think about that. Paul's life, as he's gone to great length to show us, is a reflection of being a new creation. So he no longer sees people according to the flesh. But here's the problem for Paul. The life lived, reconciled to God as a new creation, seems like a turnoff to the unbelieving world. And so if you judge by appearances, Paul's life is a failure. 
And his message is a turnoff. And he seems like a weirdo. And so some would say, isn't that an obstacle to people coming to faith? Don't people want to be attracted to the message? So here's, here's what I think Paul is saying here. And I think that this is a little different than what I first understood. What Paul is saying here is this. If there's any obstacle to people coming to the faith, I didn't put it there. I did not put it there by how I lived my life. The obstacle is the message. Paul's like, it's not how I live. So my life is a fruit of the message. And, and, and if people are being turned off, they're being turned off by the message itself. So, so here's the point, I think. When we live out our lives according to the message of reconciliation and when we're committed to seeing things not according to the flesh, people will actually accuse us of turning people off to Christ. This is a weird thing. And we've talked about this several times lately. Y'all, if we are people who are truly living for Christ, it doesn't matter how winsome we are. It doesn't matter how cool, matter how cool or hip we are. People are going to think we're weirdos. And, and, and again, as always, our attention is never to be strange for the sake of being strange. And I've known people like that. Like, there are some people who they're like, I'm just weird and I, I want to be weird. That's, that's not it. All right? But it will appear weird and it will appear strange when we go against the flow of the world system. So let me give you some examples. How, how we raise our children. You know, and I'm, I'm not... Okay, so just... Take out of your mind, like, the horse and buggy, you know, tall hat-wearing people, okay? So we're, we're talking about generally normal people, but who raise their children in a different way. Our entertainment choices, y'all. I mean, there, there's just some choices. I, I live outside for the most part. There are famous people right now. I see people, like, and people are like, that's a famous person. I'm like, I don't even know why that person is famous. Like, there are so many famous people I don't, there's just so many things that, you know, to distract my attention and I, I'm not super engaged in that world. And I know that to some people, I probably seem totally out of it. People are like, he's, he's not, he doesn't understand. I don't, I don't. I, there's like 400 different shows on Netflix. If I spent all of my time watching those shows, I still wouldn't be familiar with all of these characters, right? So I, I just, I don't know what's going on. How we spend our money, how we spend our time, and remember, I'm, I'm not saying that we live like people in a little house on the prairie. Okay, I'm not saying that that's how we are, nor am I commending um, any kind of like self-proclaimed morality patrol. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm simply talking about our lifestyle that comes from living as new creations. The choices we make as individuals and families to follow Christ. So some will say to Paul, you are being a hindrance to the gospel. You are turning people off because you're being so extreme. You take things too far. You just don't seem like you're relevant. And in the end, they accuse him of being an obstacle to people coming to Christ. Who would want to be an obstacle? And so what we have here is the fact that the world does misrepresent Jesus Christ. I, I hear it. Maybe you hear it too. Sometimes, you know, because of how somebody is living or somebody will say, well, you're, you're some unbeliever will say you're misrepresenting Jesus. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is all about love. Jesus wants us to be happy. Jesus wants me to be me. And the obstacle to me coming to Jesus is how you are living your life. But the obstacle is the gospel. 
And they don't understand it. And so many well-meaning Christians try desperately to live out the Christian life in a way that won't turn people off. But when it comes down to it, life in Christ is just different than the life that's lived out according to the gospel. Paul says, I didn't put any obstacles in anybody's way. In fact, Paul is willing to stand on his manner of life and his ministry as evidence of the power of the message. All right. Verses 4 through 10. I'm 30 minutes in. We have six more verses to go. What do you think about that? Okay, we're not going to, we're not actually going to, this is an interesting little passage, and I, I would just encourage you to read through it um, sometime this week. I'm, let me read it real fast. I'm not going to go through all of these words, uh, word by word. I'm just going to make a couple of quick observations and we'll close. Let me read it. Paul says, Verse 4, but as servants, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through praise and slander, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet now killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And I've just called this final section the paradox of reconciliation. So not only does Paul not believe that he is an obstacle to people coming to faith, he says as servants of Christ, we commend ourselves in these things, like you think these things are a turnoff, Paul's like, I think these things are evidence of the fact that we are, in fact, ministering the gospel as God would have us to minister the gospel. So he gives us these, this list in three groups. Number one, verses uh, four, second part of verse four and five, by enduring affliction, both natural and from man. So Paul just sees himself as walking in the way of Jesus Christ. Secondly, by using God's methods and not the world's. So Paul's critics expect him to advance the gospel through great speeches and great wisdom. And Paul says, no, I'm doing it through purity and knowledge and truth. He speaks of the weapons of righteousness for the right hand or the left. I think this is just... Ephesians chapter 6, put on the armor of God. He knows he's in a fight. And we'll see this later on in chapter 10. And then finally, he trusts himself to God's perspective and not the world's. Through honor and dishonor, slander and praise. And this last section just brings us back around to that difference in perspective. How do you view things? How do we who view things according to Christ... How do we see things different from those who view things according to the world? And and this is true. And you guys know this. And you've been and we've all been in this situation. Sometimes they will misperceive our motives and they will misperceive our intentions. And we will be slandered. We will take stands and we will say things that are virtuous and that are right. And people will accuse us of, of doing things in wicked ways. They will, they will treat us as imposters, even though we live with integrity. We may, as a result of our commitment to Christ, lose everything. But Paul says, we know if we lose everything, Jesus is going to reward us in kind, which is to reward us 
with everything. Let me just pull out one phrase here as we close. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There's so much in this world that is going to bring us sorrow. There's just many hard things that are related to sin in this world. And if we as Christians refuse to acknowledge those things, we are not living in the real world. If we give ourselves to each other and to love each other, to care for one another, then the the fact is we are going to stand to experience pain as a result of that. But in all of that, he says, we rejoice. And we rejoice because of the hope that is in us. We are sorrowful, but we do not despair. And in fact, we rejoice. And maybe it's just a quiet rejoicing at times, but we rejoice because we know that we have been reconciled to God. All right, uh, you guys who are going to hand out the the Lord's Supper, y'all can go ahead and head back there. So interestingly, related to that last point, throughout church history, even this little Lord's Supper that we're about to take has been misrepresented. Um, You know, people in the first century called these love feasts. And so some accused the Christians of getting together and participating in immorality around the Lord's table because these were called love feasts. Um, Others heard that they proclaimed that they were eating the body of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus. And they said, you guys are getting together and you're being cannibals. How's that for being misrepresented? You know, so so even our little Lord's Supper here, people have found ways throughout the ages to misrepresent this and to accuse us of doing things that aren't true. Let me say this. The world will always find ways to misrepresent the message of Jesus Christ. But like Paul, it's not up to us to change those things to suit our culture. So we carry on in love. We do things like this over and over again because we are waiting for Jesus to return. Y'all, don't take that for granted. (laughs) We believe that Jesus Christ is a man, that he came to earth, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven, that he's coming back. I'm telling y'all, a lot of people think that's nuts these days. But that's what we believe. And these truths, even though they're becoming increasingly lost to the culture around us, I think Jesus established little things like this to help us remember. And so that's, that's why we do what we're doing here this morning. So think about those things. Grab the, the cup and the, the cracker and we'll take it together in just a minute.